Uh, Bible readers and uh, good evening everybody. Welcome along uh, tonight. It is great to be here with you all. My name's Dave uh, for those that I haven't met uh, before uh, and uh, yeah I look forward to getting into this part of God's Word uh, with you. Uh, now I have a confession to make uh, as we begin. We're obviously going to be talking about Christmas uh, tonight but uh, I, I have to admit that there's a lot about Christmas uh, that I don't particularly like. Uh, it may, may not be the place that uh, you expect to admit this, but uh, there are uh, so many Christmas carols, so many Christmas images that I find don't really grab what Christmas is actually all about. Uh, it expresses something of uh, what we want it to be, perhaps something that we're comfortable with, uh, but it's not really that much to do with Christmas. Christmas is so often uh, just very nice in the way that we do it. Uh, I wonder what, uh, what your quintessential Christmas images would be. Uh, we could we could talk about many things that we do at Christmas time, couldn't we? We could talk about family things. We could talk about the traditions that we had growing up, uh, things that we've always done, things around Christmas dinners perhaps are a big thing, or gift giving, uh, Christmas light displays perhaps. You like to walk around looking at all the twinkling Christmas lights or uh, perhaps particular decorations you always put out uh, at Christmas time. There are many things that we do uh, around our Christmas culture. Uh, but then there's the Christmas story as well, isn't there? Uh, we don't perhaps incorporate it as much as we used to once upon a time, but you do still find nativity scenes around the place uh, at Christmas time. You may have uh, seen them before. They usually focus in on Mary and Joseph and there they are just after Jesus is born and there's normally a few animals scattered around for good measure, uh, perhaps some visitors who've just popped in, usually uh, the shepherds. Uh, there's a few things wrong with your typical uh, nativity scene. For a start, with the number of animals that are around, it's probably the cleanest stable uh, you will ever come across. There's fresh straw laid out, the place looks clean and scrubbed and uh, then there are new parents, first time parents, who've been on a, a journey of over 150 kilometres on foot. They look remarkably happy and fresh faced about the whole thing, don't they? But that's just it, isn't it? That's part of the myth of Christmas. It's not a real picture. You know, the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. What baby never cried? It's removed from reality. It's a nice tradition, a nice picture. It makes us feel comfortable to see these things at Christmas time, but they're unrealistic. We've reduced the nativity scene to be something that's more appropriate for little kids. Uh, we like to get children dressed up to recreate uh, the nativity scene. We might find images that are just cute and lovely uh, to capture it, something like that. Or perhaps we just remove it from reality in another way and make it look more holy and religious, something from a world very different from the one we inhabit. Do we know what Christmas means? I mean, of course we know what Christmas means, right? But do we? You know, Christians love to uh, put up uh, bumper stickers and various things around this time of year, speaking about Jesus being the reason for the season, and it's true, um, it rhymes, perhaps that's something going for it, uh, if nothing else. But it doesn't say a lot about Christmas, does it? It doesn't say what it means. It doesn't say why it's significant to people living today. I mean, it's about Jesus, but so what? Jesus was born there, but... 
Surely there must be more to it than that. Uh, We've heard part of the story of Christmas read out for us tonight, part of the real story of Christmas, but our challenge is not just to look at what happened, but to ask the question of why that story matters to us at all. Instead of just turning it into a nice, cute tradition, we want to know what it means for those of us living today. So let's let this story tell itself. Normally, uh, as we go into the Christmas story, we begin just after Jesus is born. But tonight, we're going to start before Jesus is born. In that first part of the Bible we heard read, uh, we heard about an angel appearing to Mary. Now again, this is part of the story that we know. Uh, Mary's probably young. Uh, That's something that we might not have known. Uh, She's not married yet. Uh, which to us in the 21st century could mean just about anything. Many people are not married. But uh, in her time, it probably meant that she was a teenager and it probably meant that she was at the younger end of being a teenager. Now, it would have been a frightening enough experience, I imagine, for an angel to appear to you. Again, we've reduced angels in the pictures that we use to being essentially babies in dresses, kind of fluttering around, smiling with harps. But really, angels uh, were quite frightening when you read about the response that people made to them. But even more frightening is the message that that angel brought. Uh, In verse 30 of that first chapter of Luke, we heard that the angel said to her, "'Do not be afraid, Mary.'" You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. Now Mary is always very calm in the nativity scenes, isn't she? You know, she's always got it together. She doesn't look a lot like a 14-year-old who's just been told that she's going to have a baby. I mean, okay, she had nine months to get used to it, perhaps by then. Uh, But even still, you know, While that's the most striking part for us as modern readers, again, it's not the whole of the message that the angel delivered to her. There are hints in there uh, of an ancient promise. Now we're told, uh, as we heard read, uh, that Mary's fiancé, Joseph, was a descendant of David. And we think, well, so what? Uh, But we know David. You know, David is one of those famous figures from the Old Testament. So perhaps Luke is just name dropping. You know, Joseph, he had a a very famous ancestor. If you've ever met someone who has a famous ancestor, they've probably told you about it at least once because people love to talk about, you know, their famous celebrities that they're related to. Uh, But again, so what? Joseph is a descendant of David. Well, who cares? Uh, But then again, it comes up in the promise that the... uh, angel makes to Mary. He says, this child will receive the throne of David. Now that's speaking about a promise that was made a long time before. Now when we think of David, we probably think of David and Goliath. And again, if you've ever been uh, exposed to one of those kids versions of the story, you might have an image in your head of David as this cute, smiling little child who then went and killed a giant. Uh, But that's not what Israel knew David for. Israel knew David because of a promise that God had made to them years before. Now there's another verse that we have uh, from around a thousand years before any of the Christmas story happened. A verse uh, that was spoken around the time of David. Uh, it's a promise that God made to him. Uh, back in a book called 2 Samuel, in chapter 7, uh, God said to David that my love will never be taken away from him. Uh, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you. 
Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Now that was a promise. That was a promise that God had made to Israel. That was a promise that they had held on to for a thousand years. It was a promise that they believed when things were going well and the country was thriving. But it was also a promise that they'd held on to through some pretty dark days. When their country had been overrun by its enemies. When their homes had been destroyed. When their children had been taken as slaves. It was a promise that had sustained them through some dark times. And it was a long time that they had been waiting. Now we don't know much about that. On a global scale, Australia is pretty much near the top of the food chain uh, and we don't know what this is like. We are more or less as safe and secure as it is possible to be. Now we're not the the largest nation around, but we do have uh, some pretty powerful allies. Well, Israel was a small nation who had some pretty powerful enemies. Countries who had held them down and oppressed them for generation after generation. They knew what it was to long for something better. And they knew what it was to suffer. This is what Christmas speaks into. Christmas is about the fulfilment of a centuries old promise. You know, that was what Gabriel the angel said to Mary when he appeared to her. Uh, Speaking of this child that she was to have, he said that he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Those are big promises. We think Christmas, we think of Jesus as this silent little baby wrapped up and tucked away in the straw. Uh, We're told here that he'll be a king. He will reign All of these wonderful, big promises. But again, let's be honest. Who really cares? I mean, for all the fuss that our media makes over uh, royal weddings and royal babies and so forth, and we've had a few of those of late, we don't really care that much about royalty, do we? I mean, you might remember recently there was an announcement that Australians were entitled to receive a free portrait of the Queen. I don't know whether anybody here wrote off to your federal MP to request uh, your portrait of the Queen. I believe you still can if you would like to. Uh, But when this was happening, when this news had come out that this was something that Australian citizens were entitled to have, uh, this is what the Sydney Morning Herald reported about it. Now, this is a coming in halfway through a quote, and it says there, uh, I take heart from the whole story. Uh, Firstly, how rare it was up until a week ago for anyone to want a portrait of the Queen. And secondly, the high hilarity with which the news is greeted that we are all entitled to such a portrait. Uh, Federal Labor MP for Gellibrand in Victoria, Tim Watts, described it in a Facebook post as a mass practical joke. That proves that the monarchy is broken and the idea of a Queen of Australia is a punchline for most Aussies. So how about that? That's what people wrote about the royalty that we do have. It's a punchline. The things that you have at the end of jokes. Who cares about the Queen we have now, let alone a King we might have had thousands of years ago? 
Who cares if Jesus inherited some promises from a thousand years before he was even born? It's easy, isn't it? It's so easy to reduce Christmas story to be a nice little tradition that we celebrate once a year, but one that doesn't really mean anything. And that's why you can go and buy cute nativity scenes in Ikea and you can buy albums of festive songs to remember the night that Jesus was born. And even promises like the ones that we heard from Gabriel mean little to us. They're promises that were made to people who were weak, people who were oppressed, people who were suffering. What could it possibly offer to people like us, people who are strong, people who can go out and achieve what we want to do? You see, our problem as modern Australian readers of the Christmas story is that Christmas is a solution to a problem that we don't really believe that we have. And even when we do understand that problem, we don't understand why the solution applies to us. So to understand Christmas, we really need to spend a bit more time thinking about why that promise to David came about. You see, when the angel tells Mary that Jesus will be this king, this king in the line of David, that's a story that starts much, much earlier, uh, much earlier even than the promise we read about before. It starts back uh, in a book called 1 Samuel, comes before 2 Samuel, funnily enough, in chapter 8. Now, 1 Samuel 8 is uh, not a Christmas story. I am aware of that. I'm sort of sorry, sort of not really sorry. Like I said, I'm not that keen on Christmas, to be honest. But uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, the people of Israel come to Samuel, who is their leader, who is their prophet, after an embarrassing military defeat, and they demand that God give them a king. But here's the thing. I just said that they came to Samuel after an embarrassing military defeat. You see, it's only in Hollywood that you use words like embarrassing, to talk about a military battle that you've lost. That's not embarrassing, is it? It's painful. It's devastating. If you go back and read the story, 30,000 of them were killed. How many husbands, how many brothers, how many fathers, how many sons had they just lost? They come to Samuel not just because they thought, oh, maybe having a king is a good idea and one day we'll be able to get a portrait of him. They come to Samuel desperate for this never to happen again, desperate for some healing, desperate for peace, desperate for comfort, for security, and secretly afraid that they may never know those things. Now, that's That's not the Christmas story for most of us, is it? That's not our experience. That's not what we're afraid of happening. But it is a Christmas story for many people, isn't it? How many people are there in Adelaide who will spend tomorrow in hospital? How many people will be alone in nursing homes, in retirement villages? How many will miss the children that they've lost or the ones they never had? How many of us will be experiencing a Christmas where this is the first one uh, since losing someone special? But the photos are still there and the memories. We could go on, couldn't we? But we don't really need to. The people came to Samuel 
because they had seen the huge fault lines that run through our world and because they knew firsthand that from time to time unimaginable pain can break through those and swallow us. This happens to nations, this happens to individuals. Most nativity scenes are nice, happy, friendly images. They're great, aren't they, when when life's going well. But they don't offer much when life is dark, when life is lonely. But that's not me, we might say. All right, I'm sure that, you know, it offers something to people who are suffering, but we might say, well, my life is going fine. And that's great. That is great. It is good when suffering is not coming your way. But we still know that that pain exists, don't we? We still know that that's what our world is filled with. It's just hidden from many of us, or at least it is for now. But the promises made around Jesus' birth speak into that darkness and they speak about the solution that we need. You see, Israel knew what they wanted. We probably know what we want. They knew what they wanted. They wanted victory. They wanted a king who could lead them so that they would never again be defeated on the battlefield. Now, that didn't happen. But even if it had happened, even if they had been given a great military king who would uh, defeat all of their enemies, that wouldn't fix the world they live in, would it? Any more than if we get the right prime minister at the next election, whoever that means, that will take away all the pain in our world. That was what they wanted but it wasn't what they needed. See, most of us think we could probably work out what's wrong with the world and what needs to happen uh, to be fixed, but what they needed was something that would destroy that darkness forever. See, there was more in that promise that was made to Jesus. See, 40 days after his birth, the second part of what we heard read, Jesus was brought to the temple by his parents. They were faithfully doing what the law commanded them to do. And while they were there, while they were uh, at the temple, they met two people who explained something more uh, of the solution that Jesus is. That helps us to grasp uh, why it applies to us. The first one is Simeon. Now, of Simeon, we're told that he's waiting for the consolation of Israel, which is lovely. Uh, but we're told in, uh, in chapter 2, verse 25, that that's a, a short way of saying that he wants to see all the things that the people wanted back in 1 Samuel 8. He wants to see Israel cared for and restored. He wants to see an end to the darkness of pain in the world he inhabited. Now, it might sound odd to single Simeon out as being the only one, Uh, wanting that in Israel. Surely everybody in Israel wanted to see the consolation of Israel. Uh, But the truth is, most of us don't worry too much about the suffering that's going on in the world, do we? Not very often, anyway. Most of us have acclimatised ourselves to the fact that we live in a world of pain and we barely give it a second thought. Or if we do, we think, well, that's just the way that it is. You know, we can maybe do a little bit, but it's never going to be fixed. Simeon, sees two new parents with a six-week-old baby. He doesn't go all gushy and gooey-eyed and say, isn't he cute? Isn't he lovely? He sees what God is doing. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. That's what 
the nativity is. My eyes have seen your salvation. He's not seeing a particularly cute six-week-old baby. He's seeing what this baby will become. He is seeing the potential for what lies ahead. He is seeing what God is doing, that this is the beginning of what will fix everything. That's the first person. The second is Anna. Anna's a widow. She has nothing else. She lives at the temple, seemingly without a family to care for her or to make her older years comfortable. But she too is dedicated to God, we are told. She is waiting for him to act and she is not waiting passively and hoping uh, emptily. She is fasting and praying and longing to see God do what he is going to do. And then she too gets to see Jesus in verse 38. Uh, Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. This is who Jesus is. This is what Christmas is all about. A light to the Gentiles. Uh, That is all the people who are not Jews. Revelation to Israel, shining into that darkness and bringing redemption, restoring everything that is wrong. All of the pain, all of the suffering, all of those things that we have just learned to accept as being part of the human experience. This is what Christmas is about. So what about us? Where do we go from here this Christmas? Well, I think often if you come to church at Christmas time, the application of, uh, of looking at the Christmas story is something like, you know, why don't you go away and think about what the real meaning of Christmas is uh, and that'll somehow make things better, won't it? But that's a little bit empty, isn't it? You know, that's just a coat of paint over the cracks. That's just like turning off the news and thinking like, oh, well, now that it's not turned on anymore, somehow that's fixed the problems of the world. The birth of Jesus isn't the end point. You know, we're not celebrating just because a baby uh, was born. Uh, The promises aren't even the end point, really. The story is still going. Uh, Now, Jesus has done all that needs to be done through his life, but more particularly through his death and through his resurrection to new life, as we sing in so many uh, Christmas carols. Uh, But that story is still going. Now, many people ask the question, well, if God is good, then why is there still so much pain in the world? You know, if Jesus is this solution to this problem, uh, then why is there still so much pain, so much suffering? And so many people abandon their faith for precisely that reason. Uh, They still experience the brokenness of the world. They still see all of those problems and they haven't been fixed for them personally. And so they say, well, what's the point in believing? For many of us, and even I think for many Christians, we've grown too accustomed to pain. And so we start to think of faith as being like a Panadol. We, we take faith if it helps us to feel a little bit better about the world that we live in. Uh, we don't think it deals with the problem necessarily, it just kind of dulls the pain, uh, dulls the symptoms for a little while. What we need is not something that will make us feel good. What we need is a solution to the problem. Following Jesus is about being someone who is longing to see that problem fixed once and for all. Not just to see things made a little bit better, but to see everything fixed. That was Anna's story, that was Simeon's story, that's our story. And that's why we come back to that question of what is Christmas all about? 
Now, if you haven't taken a look at the display that's out the front yet, I really would uh, encourage you to do so. The theme that's behind it uh, is to look at uh, the journey from the cradle to the cross, to look beyond Jesus as the baby lying in the manger to the man who died on the cross, the man who died for us, the man who rose again and will one day return to make all things right. See, at Christmas, we celebrate God's redemption plan, but we celebrate particularly the beginning of a plan, which we still look forward to the end. It's the beginning of a process that will one day see all things made right. It guarantees us a perfect and a certain hope for all those willing to trust in it. It is worth thinking about at Christmas, but it's even more than that. It's worth living for. Why don't we pray? Father, we do thank you for the Christmas story and we do thank you that uh, no matter how hard I might have been on it, that it is a great story. Uh, We do thank you that it is an encouraging thing and an encouraging time for us to gather and to hear of what you did in your son. But we pray, Lord, uh, that it would be more than just a cute image uh, of a baby with animals standing around Uh, but rather it would speak to us of you as a God who acts, you as a God who steps into your world, who comes as one of us in order to bear all that suffering upon yourself so that it may one day be made right. Uh, Lord, help us to see your plan. Help us to know that you have a solution, that you are working towards it and help us to respond to you in faith as you would have us. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.